Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, good to see you again. Yes, you're back in Canada. I am, yeah, yeah. I had a week down in New Jersey, seeing some family, seeing some friends, had a day at the Jersey Shore. Uh, very exciting. Asbury Park, beautiful now. I remember being there 20 years ago and less so. Uh, but yeah, they've, they've done so much on that, that beach. So it was very nice to actually get in the ocean for the, the first time this year. Very good. Yeah, it's stuff's still rolling along here. We're sort of edging our way towards, uh, dare I say, cyclocross and fall season. So that could be good depending on who you are and, and what you like to do. It's true. Yeah. On my drive between New Jersey and Ontario, I on the way down there, I didn't notice any trees changing colors. And I hate to even say it, but I did notice some trees changing colors on my way back up. There's so. a bunch. Yeah. And I don't know. There's a, It's a weird season this year. We've had a lot of rain where we are in Ontario, Canada. Uh, which is good, you know, and certainly a lot of places could use a lot of rain with the fires and so forth. But uh, I, I think that's affected some of the plants and trees are, are going into fall mode earlier, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of fall mode, you know, you're you're seeing more and more people t- uh, buying the cyclocross racing and training plans yeah there's a couple yeah so we have the stock plans and then also i always try and say that you know the three month made for you plan is a good option it's a unique option that we have with consummate athlete where you know we we take sort of an intake form and you tell us about the schedule and what exact races you're doing you have to commit to those so that you have a plan for them uh, but then you, there's no, none of these conflicts. A, a stock plan, you know, is always going to have like Mondays off and Sunday long, right? And that's just not the reality. Lots of people go to church or they go to kids baseball on the weekend and it has to get jumbled around or their cyclocross races are on Saturday instead of Sunday. So the, the three-month plan is a great option. I think that is in that middle ground between, you know, a, a pre-made plan and, and maybe full-on coaching. Well, especially for cyclocross where you're very likely to have both weekly races and more than one race in a three-month period, right? Like a lot of cyclocross season is that you're racing almost every weekend. So yeah. that really changes the game. Yeah, it's weird. When I build the plans, a lot of times it's like more clear. Like you're exactly right. Like you're doing Leadville. So there's like the base and then there's the build and they're like three months and three months or something like that. It's a little more obvious. And there's probably some A and B races, but you're right. Cyclocross is a unique beast um, where, where it's sort of like weekly cross practice and then race once or, or twice or even twice for some, weekend, you yeah. know, for, for sometimes for like three months straight, it's, it's sort of a wild thing. Uh, so yeah, we try and do some guidance around that too. And how do you deal with that, that amount of racing and load and maybe take a rest week uh, here and there in, in that span. Exactly. And to find those, you can head over to consummateathlete.com. We'll maybe do, we'll do an article this week that just lists sort of all the cyclocross coaching options because yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can go about prepping for your cyclocross season. Uh, But cyclocross is actually sort of what connected us with today's guest. We have Ben Frederick on talking about the Small Monsters Project, traumatic brain injury and concussions. Uh, But Ben and I have uh, our roots in Western Massachusetts cyclocross. He is also a cyclocross racer. um, And we we have many, many people in common, as we realized. I actually first kind of uh, came upon him working on this article for Bicycling Magazine that'll come out in the next issue, I think. So I'll share that when it does come out, talking with Ben about the work he's done with Small Monsters Project. But as I was talking to him for that article... I realized his wealth of knowledge about concussions and traumatic brain injury, 
uh, and his own journey, I thought was just so helpful for our audience because we know so many people that have dealt with, you know, just really gnarly concussions and recovery process. And, you know, we understand how frustrating and just difficult it can be, especially that quote unquote, like invisible injury side of things Mm. where on the surface, you look like you're perfectly normal and everything's fine. But uh, on the inside you have as, as Ben put it, you know, you these these small or large monsters and yeah, and I think we're starting to understand that a little bit more maybe now that there is this, you know, you can be down a peg or two and have fog, brain fog and headaches and, and these things that sort of, as you say, can linger for weeks, if not months, if not years in some cases. And certainly, you know, through our the clients, coaching clients we have, we've had several who have dealt with this like long term uh, into that span of years, which is wild, right? These are very high functioning people that are, again, like, you know, down a few pegs and it's not even on a performance, you know, sometimes it's this, you know, again, fog, not processing his memory, these, these types of things. Yeah. Ben says it in the podcast, but for him, the recovery wasn't when he got back to racing and he was at like world cup level again, it was when he could go to the grocery store again. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. took a very long time. Or drive to the race sometimes like just those, all that like visual stimulation or processing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other interesting thing is the concussion protocols have been changing in recent years. And I think a lot of us are still uh, thinking that the quiet, dark room by yourself for like three weeks is what you're supposed to do for concussions. But that's actually not the recommended protocol anymore. There's a lot more stuff coming out about gentle exercise. This is not go out and do your intervals. This Mm -hmm. is just like Mm -hmm. getting out for maybe a walk. Maybe you have to wear some dark sunglasses, but just being out in nature. Uh, And I had actually spoken to a doctor about this for an article a couple months ago. Uh, She was talking about they've realized, especially for younger athletes, uh, socialization is so important. So we say no screens and keep it quiet. But for younger and older people, everyone, like losing that social component can actually really, you know, trigger a lot of feelings of anxiety and depression that you're already more prone to because of the concussion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So... You know, she she actually is advocating more for younger people having limited screen time, but still being able to be on their phones and messaging with their friends and stuff like that. For sure. And you wonder now with the blocking glasses and the nighttime mode and this screen brightness, there's probably a, a middle ground there for sure. Yeah. Uh, and it is it is that interesting where it used to be, you know, days where you'd have to stay locked up. But yeah, that's I, I heard a doctor speaking uh, the other day, actually, around concussions, and, and they were saying that, like, you want to do this in a lot of, if it's serious, you need to go get checked out, and there, there would be a protocol, you'd work with a doctor on this, but yeah, it would be much more active than we've done before, and he's, like, day one, starting into some of this. Yeah, so, anyway, I think all of this is really interesting, really helpful to know if you're dealing with this, and as Ben says, you know, he's not a doctor, we're not doctors, definitely, definitely you know, if you think that you've had a concussion and you're, you know, struggling with stuff after a day, like it's so worth getting checked out. Uh, even what he's doing a Small Monsters Project is some of the uh, pre-concussion, like the checks so that you have sort of that baseline for if you do have a brain injury or you do take a hit to the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of that's just super interesting. And yeah, wealth of knowledge. Definitely check out the smallmonstersproject.com as well and check out what he's doing there. 
Sure. Yeah. And I think the only other thing, we'll put some of these in the show notes, but in Ontario, we have Rowan's Law, which has a lot of resources. And then I believe Parachute is is still relevant as well. They're sort of a big organization for concussions that have things like resources for parents and athletes and these sort of things. And, And I find that very helpful. Like some of it's scary, but it is just sort of the the general stuff like, you know, the, with Rowan's law, it's, you know, if you're suspecting a head injury and when to suspect a head injury, which is, you know, more often than not in a lot of cases, you know, you stop. And and then again, you said the, one of the mistakes was the doing the full isolation, but I guess a lot of times we try and push through, uh, and then do full isolation once stuff. Cause so we're sort of a lot of stuff where it's like, no, you just, you got to stop sooner (laughs) <laughs> it's almost like we're on a u-curve kind of situation it, it, where... I, I guess yeah i don't see it but maybe there is one well the going hard and complete isolation and we tend to go to the those rollers oh. instead of just like the chill time yeah I, I, maybe you could do that on a curve i'm not sure but the yeah you, you sort of like push too long right where it was like no you crash like just shut it down and go home and then you know don't do more intervals when you get home just you know go about and, and maybe just lay low for a day or two and just make sure the symptoms don't come up and rather than poking it uh, a lot right so I, apparently that's a, a lot of it so 100%. all that to say great resources in those couple of uh, things i mentioned and that we'll link in the show notes yeah and this is all good to know before it happens because it's much easier you know if you have this knowledge prior to having a concussion you're mm-hmm. you're a bit more aware and can handle it properly versus you know, taking a hit to the head and then trying to research it when you're supposed to not be spending a ton of time on bright screens. Yeah. And I think normalizing, like, I think, you know, we've seen such a different response in that, right. Where it's not, you don't have to be tough. It's not that like, you're going to get benched. You know, there's all these things where, especially in team sports, where it's like, if you don't stay in the game, then you're going to lose your spot on the Mm -hmm. team or something like that. Right. Or this is the most important nationals race of your life. Uh, You know, and you sort of like are thinking more long-term in a lot of these cases, uh, you know, yeah, th- I guess that's the idea. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully everyone enjoys this conversation with Ben Frederick. I definitely did. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is, this is really exciting. Uh, long, long time fan of the pod. Uh, what is it? Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Oh my God. <laughs> I love it. It makes me feel a little bit like Fraser Craney, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I say that as someone who really likes Fraser. So there we are. Uh, okay. Let's start with just kind of who you are, establish this like whole short version of what could be the entire podcast worth of a story. Um, journey from being a pro cyclocrosser to being someone dealing with a traumatic brain injury and where you are now, just so everyone has like yeah. this context. Sure. Um, there are other podcasts and stories out there and articles out there um, that you can definitely learn more about the story. So we won't go too deep into it. Um, but in 2016, going into uh, that season, I had just moved to Western Massachusetts to be with, you know, the the hotbed of American cyclocross. Uh, I moved, you know, packed up my Honda Civic with all of my belongings and made it happen. Just like um, every other cyclocross uh, professional on the rise in the U.S. at that time. Yes. Definitely. Um, Myself included. Like, totally. totally. <laughs> that was a no shade uh, comment for the record. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then two weeks before Rochester, which was the season opener, um, like getting up, getting out early for a, for a you know, four hour, five hour training ride. Um doing uh intervals on some trails and in between intervals uh i just had this like 
freak crash where nothing, there was nothing on the trail that would have caused me to crash. I wasn't going fast. It was like tripping over a linoleum floor, like no reason for it. Um, and even the crash itself felt really like, it would be one of those things where you just heckle your friend about. Yeah. Because it, yeah. like, it didn't really like hurt or anything, but I, I did hit my head. And I was conscious of the fact that I hit my head. Uh, I didn't lose consciousness, but I had this like moment of like, okay, well, waiting for something to happen and nothing kind of happened initially. So I was like, well, I guess I got to get up and start my intervals, right? So put on my glasses, kind of like shake it off. Um, and then it, over the next five minutes was like, ooh, something's, something's not right. Um, and then I ended up calling a friend uh, and trying to like coordinate with them to get a ride out. And they said that like, I wasn't making a ton of sense on the phone, which is a little, you know, in hindsight, like pretty uh, disconcerting and ended up having to ride a few, like 30 minutes out of the trails. And then, you know, just felt a little off, nothing kind of like crazy, knew I hit my head at that point. And it was pretty clear that I had um, a concussion. Um, but instead of like going to the ER, uh, because at that point in my life, I, you know, I didn't want to spend $1,500 for them to tell me that I had a concussion. Cause I'm like, I, I got one. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that time I just didn't have like the, the gravity of the situation wasn't super, um, I just didn't know. I just know about it. So Dr. Google told me to, uh, avoid screens and sit in the dark room. So Ironic advice from Dr. Google, but okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and so then I, uh, yeah, over the next four days, like it, it had gotten, you know, the symptoms got worse and worse and worse to the point where um, uh, a family friend who I was kind of keeping in touch with over the phone, because uh, I didn't have any family or really any support structure in Massachusetts, because I had just moved there, um, was like, you have to go to the hospital. Like, if you don't, like, I'm going to call an ambulance to have them come get you kind of stuff because I was being stubborn. Um, and then I went to the hospital and they told me that I had a concussion uh, and told me to take a week off work. And that was kind of it. Um, and so naively, I was like, yeah, well, I'll just take a few days off. Um, cross is coming. And then a few days turned to a week and I just did not feel any better. And then I tried to ride and even like an eight minute ride around the block was just super overwhelming. It made me super nauseous and it was just like, not okay. Um, and yeah, I kind of was uh, resigned to living in a dark room because that's what I thought would help. Um, and yeah, two weeks turned into two months, turned into almost two years by the end of it. And um, through that time, it, many ups and downs and, and uh, mental states of, you know, maybe I'll still be able to get back by nationals or maybe I'll still be able to get back by Europe to, I don't ever want to touch a bike again because nothing is worth how I feel right now, where you know, I would get a headache and nauseous just trying to think about how to make oatmeal, something that I did every day forever. And just like the process of like, where is the oatmeal? Okay. How much oatmeal did I put in? All right. How long, you know, it just having to break it down so granularly and then having to rest so that I had enough energy to 
make lunch. And that was just kind of my existence. Um, and then um, uh, this awesome community of people in New England kind of rallied around me because they, they could see themselves in me. Like it could happen to anyone. Yeah, um, and, and truly and I, can. I think that's like the first part of your story to your point about like kind of the just right, just riding around basically the, yeah. the JR classic JRA. Right. Like, right. And like, you know, at the time I was, I was a professional level cyclist. Right. So like, it wasn't like I was getting rad or doing anything above and beyond even just like your, you know, any, any recreational cyclist skill level. It was just such a freak thing. Um, and so with with that support network that we built, um, we we were able to try to like navigate the the kind of the murky world at the time of like concussion recovery. Um, so we went kind of like to the to all right, let's athlete this. And so we went to the Cantu Concussion Clinic. We went to the top and tried to like fix it as fast as possible, working as fast as possible. Like okay, well. Uh, let's do cognitive and uh, vestibular and speech therapy all in one go. It'll be a three-hour session, and you can barely drive in a car for twenty minutes. So and not drive a, a car, hour, drive, right, in, drive a car. in a car. Um, but it's two hours to Boston, where the appointment was. And so, you know, there's a lot of things in my story that we might touch on later that was like, you know what, probably shouldn't have done that, or you know what maybe that's not the the best uh best practice in the in these things even though it was purely from a, a space of like wanting to try to do the right thing as quickly as possible um but it is so and, very much athlete nature to totally. be so uh, proactive to a fault i'm gonna say like peter and i talk about this all the time like in every aspect of our lives we are the most reactive humans on the planet um my contractor for renting a bathroom and he was just like we were in home depot looking at like stuff and i was just making decisions left and right and i'm like where's the contract let me just he's like i have never had anyone do this this way just to be clear (laughs) this is weird i'm like totally we gotta get going we gotta do this uh so it's it's such a natural reaction to be like okay what are all of the ways that i can try to fix this and let's just stack them up Uh, yeah ironically concussions it turns out the less you can do is really the we're we're finding we're finding that there's more of a balance um and so there was a point where like clearly that wasn't working and so i went the i went the opposite direction right so just like all right well then if if that's not working then and let's just do nothing so like sitting in a dark room, um, trying to keep uh, symptoms to a minimum. Um, yeah, slowly working my way outside, walking, and then eventually hiking, and then eventually trail running, just trying to be out outside in nature. Um, and that really kind of was the start of like, in a cool way, me learning how to be me independent of a bike, which was so much of my identity. Um, and so a big you know, uh, when the win about my, my whole story wasn't when I got back on the bike and started like getting on podiums and getting a national championship or anything like that. It was like, yeah, I can, I have a job in a grocery store, which was like the worst place and, uh, and have a social life and like go out to dinner and not 
you know, like be able to like even just exist in a restaurant was so impossible, you know, a, a few months or years before. So um, all of that kind of uh, experience um, leads into 2021 where all of the World Cups in the U.S. are going to be within this uh, three-week block or excuse me, one week block, three World Cups, one one week. Um, and at the time I I'd, I'd moved to Boulder and really kind of wanted to see if I could give it a nudge, um, given, you know, like past Ben's desire to, to do something like that, to like race against the best in the world. Um, and then I didn't want to do it just shouting about myself. Like, who cares? You're 30, 30 something white guy. Like, awesome. You want to race bikes fast? That's cool. Um, and I really thought there was a, there's a void in the conversation around concussion and the conversation around mental health, which was a, also a big part of, of my recovery was kind of tackling um, these monsters that had come, come up from, from the concussion. Um, and so that's how the small monsters project was kind of born. It was trying to do something pretty cool, both from a personal level and then also as a platform for advocacy and, and kind of reducing the stigma around mental health and, and trying to help someone like the next me or the next, my friends. So they, they wouldn't have to kind of like, you know, figure it out as we went. Mm -hmm. um, and so Fortunately, was able to uh, make those World Cup teams, race the World Cups, uh, win a national championship in single speed, and um, more importantly, was able to find a community of people that were really engaged and really uh, desiring um, more information. Mm -hmm. So this year, was able to get my my life situation in a spot where I could uh, commit to small monsters project more as a um, just more time to it so that we can have more impact more specific impacts in the world. And uh, that's where we find ourselves right now. I love it. I love it. Okay. So there's so many different directions that we are going to take this story, but let's start like, yes. let's, let's backtrack and we have everyone talks about, so you hear that the term TBI traumatic brain injury get tossed around all the time. Is it the same thing as a concussion or are they, are there slightly nuanced differences or is it all just one in the same? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm going to asterisk everything that I say is that I'm not a medical professional. Uh, <laughs> that's like first and foremost, uh, this is all based on the best research that I can find mm -hmm. in conversations with neurologists. But again, like I race bikes. I'm good at that the science part is something that I'm still very much learning. This is all in the, uh, with the best intent. So all of that clarified, um, you know how, um, a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. It's kind of the same thing with a TBI. So a TBI traumatic brain injury is an injury to the brain and it can range everywhere from, you know, really bad trauma, like you, crush your skull and stuff like bad or you know something penetrates the skull and into your brain um all the way down to you you fall on your bike 
and knock your head uh, on the ground or have whiplash. You were trying and to figure out a way to say stub your brain, weren't you? Stub your brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it, it just causes your brain to move around in your skull at a rapid rate, um, damaging the tissues inside. And um, that can cause a lot of uh, chemical changes, like physical and chemical changes um, that result in symptoms. Again, like the, the, the symptoms is very wide ranging, um, but anywhere from vestibular issues, which is kind of like your, your sensory balance, inner ear stuff. So that could be dizziness, nausea, uh, trouble like uh, with eye movement. And that could even go as far down as like reading, just like moving your eyes side to side. Um, auditory sensitivity, uh, which is what, one of the things that I struggle with a lot. Um, balance and then, you know, kind of cognitive speed recall. Um, and then also, yeah, like mental health, chemical changes, like depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. And then all, all, all the way up to like, you know, motor skills, learning how to like literally how to talk again, things like that. Right. Okay. So, a, so concussion, a concussion is a TBI, but a TBI isn't necessarily a concussion. Or is Correct. it the reverse? Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So at the beginning, you talked about not calling an ambulance right off the bat. Now, cost aside, actually, no, maybe cost actually is still a factor here because I, I think it's like an honest like issue. Mm -hmm. Looking back, should you have gone to the ER or called an ambulance? Like, do you think that would have made a difference? Or do you feel like you sort of, you did, you know, not do anything like, you didn't set yourself back by, by waiting. That's sort of a weird question because obviously you don't yeah. have a crystal ball. You can't go back in time. Um, yeah. Um, if so in, in this scenario, it would have moved me going into the medical field four days earlier. Um, I don't think that in those four days that I did anything that would have set me back. I would also say probably the four days gave you gravitas when you did go to the hospital in a way, because I think if you'd gone that day, they probably would have just told you to go home and rest. Because I also was like, all right, well, I guess I'll just like stay at my girlfriend's house just because like, this is what you're supposed to do. And like the next morning I didn't feel bad enough that I couldn't attempt to like walk to the bakery. It felt weird. It was really bright out. It was kind of hard to exist in that environment. Um, but we're finding a lot in concussions that like the symptoms might not show up for days. Mm -hmm. and, and also that bakery, mine, that bakery is worth the walk. 10, so there's that. Percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually as a, you know, quick, like hyper-specific New Englander, Northampton thing aside, we're just going to have a little like uh, Molly and Ben moment. Um, that was the first, the first walk that I did after like that initial three months of just like staying at home was to small oven. And I got there right when they opened. So it wasn't busy. And Amanda was like, hi, Ben, I haven't seen you in a while. And so that was like my weekly thing. But like, I'd go early, walk, say hello. They give me my loaf of bread. And then I'd walk home before it got too busy. And it was just kind of like this really sweet, sweet thing. Oh, um, I love that. So that I was, love East yeah. Hampton. Yeah. Although I admit, so I was there before Small Oven opened. Oh, um, oh. I mean, I've been there obviously sure. since I'm very yeah. well aware of how amazing that bakery is, but yeah. I was a silver spoon person. Like I went to that diner 
constantly. I had a regular at that diner, like back when it was like before they renoed it a little bit and it got nicer. But when it was like a true greasy spoon, I had a regular, I sat at the counter, the cook knew me, waitresses knew me. It was amazing. Nice. (laughs) I love that. It's so good. Yeah. Off the soapbox. Everyone Um, should go to East Hampton. Um. Yes. Uh, And so, so I, um, yeah, I don't think I did anything that would have made it worse. Like I didn't go to cyclocross camp the next day. Like yeah. I didn't ride my bike for two days um, because it was one of those, like, I have a huge goal in two weeks. I could only make it worse if I tried to push it. I was, I was aware enough at that point. Um, Cause I thought it was just a few days off. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. um, so when yeah, it turned th- out, it was not a, just a few days off. What did you find that worked really well for you? I'm not going to ask what didn't work because I think we like, obviously are caveating this with like, everyone is going to be different. Everyone is going to respond to different things differently. So I don't even want to say what didn't work. Yeah. What do you think worked the best for you? For me? And again, this is another thing that I really just quickly want to, want to put out there. Um, I was diagnosed with post-concussive syndrome. So there's in TBI, there's concussion. And um, we're finding that concussion, the, the, the bell curve is like 28 days to return to normalcy. Um, and so that's, that's hu- a huge study among uh, NCAA, NCAA athletes. They're finding like, that's the kind of the, you know, the middle of the road is like 28 days symptom-free can exist in the world. And then a very small percentage of people with concussion can continue to struggle with symptoms beyond that 28 days. So it can be months or more. Um, And so I was one of that small percentage. So the reason I'm caveating this is that my story isn't everyone else's story. And a concussion isn't like this, like, not death sentence because that sounds, but it's not this like, oh no, I'm, I'm going to be done for months. Like, yeah, yeah. I was, I, my, my scenario is um, specific and yes, it does happen, but it's a pretty small percentage. Yeah. And I think after, so we things- t- after we talk about this, we will talk about the like new concussion protocols, because I think you, we've mentioned the like staying quiet in the dark, dark room by yourself a few times. And yeah. we now have new information about concussions that has come out since then, but not necessarily. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. Okay. What worked for you in the post-concussion um, world here? So a lot of a lot of the way that I that I tried to get better was like once I kind of leaned into the fact, like a big the biggest thing that helped me was accepting that I had a traumatic brain injury. Um really calling it what it was instead of because the the public perception of concussion doesn't really give it the it didn't give my experience enough validity and so when i started calling it a traumatic brain injury it, it like validated that like yeah this is traumatic i'm i'm losing like touch of what it feels like just to be a human yeah. um and so once i made that switch i could like um move through the world as if i did have a traumatic brain injury. So I wasn't going to try to like someone with a traumatic brain injury isn't going to go out to dinner with their friends. Right. right. So that, you know, so um, 
a lot of it was just kind of biding my time to get through one day because then that was one day closer to whenever the recovery was going to happen. Um, so I, I listened to podcasts because it was anything visual was too much for me. Um, and even like audio dramas were too much like sound effects or music. I couldn't do music, um, but I could listen to podcasts and I tried to choose podcasts that were like just engaging enough to keep me from like spiraling about my situation, but not so engaging that it would like cause symptoms. So no, like um, true crime, like totally. extreme, yeah. Um, and then I also, uh, my, that group of friends rallied uh, together and um, got me the Harry Potter uh, books on Audible, narrated by Jim Dale. And that's like something like in the hundreds of hours of yeah, days of uh, listening. Yeah. And so that was great because it was like escapism. Um, it was very wholesome uh, and long. And so yeah. a lot of it, like tr truly, it was just like playing in bed or on the couch and just like listening to Harry Potter. Um, things that also helped were that those same friends like had a spreadsheet of like, you don't know, Ben. But it'd be really cool if you showed up for 15 minutes and like gave him a hug and sat with him. Um, and so those little like investments in, you know, uh, socialization, not feeling so alone was really cool. It also allowed me to kind of like validate my experience with people. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, trying to get outside when I was ready. Um, just, yeah, I mean, movement in nature is is very healing, even if you don't have brain issue uh, brain issue so hmm. those are like the main the main things that like at least got me through yeah, um, I, yeah. there are there are definitely things that like beyond that can help um but those were those were definitely the big ones I love those because those are all very like simple things that anyone can do we're not talking about expensive like acupuncture or uh, you know, this, uh, this various supplement or any of that stuff, this is like very practical, like tangible advice that anyone can, can relate to. Mm -hmm. Now going outside, I'm curious, did you start with going outside, like more in like dusk evening or like just when it was like darker out to avoid sort of the brightness or were you almost like, were you trying to get the sunlight? That's very specific, but. Um, it would depend on the day, honestly. Yeah. Um, for. For a little bit, I would like have breakfast and coffee sitting on my porch looking at Mount Tom and it was early morning. And so I'd have time before the sun kind of came up. And once the sun came up, I'd have to kind of like go back in. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I also, thanks to a lot of this big part of like losing the bike was allowing me to like really slow down. The bike is fast, right? Um, and so uh, I was really able to slow down and, and start appreciating just, you know, my world, my world shrunk like to a room and then I could build it from the room to the front porch. And then I could build it from the front porch to the road to small oven. And then mm -hmm. from, from there I could build it to Mount Tom. Um, and so I liked, I really liked chasing sunsets because um, that wasn't really something that I like got to do much. Uh, yeah, 
initially the sun was I, I tried the sun because yeah vitamin d is really good i just like put on like sunglasses and then i put a shirt over my head and just try to like absorb it but um once i there was there was a little bit of like a defeatist moment where i was like this is what's the point it's not doing anything uh it's not getting me on my bike tomorrow um so that's a non-specific answer to a hyper-specific question no it's a very good answer and you sort of just hit two very far ends of the spectrum when you talked about that on the one hand like the slowing down and sort of like realizing this like gratitude for you know the sunset and uh, you know, like all of these little things that you're actually finally seeing, not at 20 miles an hour on the bike. But then at the same time, you're also holding this just absolute frustration and like almost like a rage about the fact that like, this isn't making me better. This isn't changing anything. Like, how did you, how did you figure out how to walk that? Or did you figure out how to walk that line of like the, the positive and the negative? Or did it really feel like you were on a, a roller coaster at that during that time? Um, it was totally roller coaster. Uh, there's um, like clinically uh, people with concussion and brain injury are, have more impulsivity and less filter. Um, and so like, you know, I, if, if you knew me now or knew me before, ah, this guy is like, you know, I've never seen him mad ever. Uh, I broke three Chemexes. Cause I got so upset that I couldn't, something wasn't working in my brain or very expensive things some, to break, by the way, like of all of so the glassware in your kitchen, you had to go with the Chemex. You couldn't throw like a um, French press from like Marshall's. Yeah, totally. Well, I am fancy. Uh, and so just like, and it could be any small trigger, but it was, but my, you know, the straw that broke the camp, like I had a ton of straw, right? Like I, <laughs> I wasn't able to ride. I was like losing my career. I was living on a GoFundMe, which is both amazing and also like embarrassing. Cause like the whole point of this trip was like, I'm finally, I'm finally on my own two feet, except that I'm not and, and not getting better fast enough. So I just felt like this burden on people and, and then the, the phone goes or the Chemex goes or, or something um, but then, you know, in the, some of the quiet hours in the morning or, um, a lot, something else that also helped was like getting behind a camera. So kind of capturing these slow moments, um, th there was gratitude in the quietness mm -hmm. oscillated per hour almost. It's so wild having to hold all of that while also having your brain heal, because I think, uh, you know, like we do kind of gloss over the like right you still have to like pay your cell phone bill and pay rent and like do all of these things that a normal human is doing to exist in the world like that didn't slow down or stop you just totally. had to slow down and stop yeah. um so i think that kind of leads actually into you know when we're talking about concussions i think a lot of people have a lot of different misconceptions around concussions so are there any that you had before yours and any that you, now that you're talking about this with other people, are there any that you, you know, notice around like how people think about concussions? Um, I mean, it, it can be generational, right? Like there's a generation that was just like, yeah, fuck up and get back in, you know, get back in the game. Um, or, and this is like, not just concussion, but like mental health stuff even like, yeah. oh, you're sad. Stop being sad. 
Oh, okay. Uh, Super easy. I so, don't. Th- I don't know why I didn't think of that. I'm... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So some of those misconceptions still exist. Um, uh, and like my my accident was kind of in this like in this crossroads of that like suck it up, get back out there, and then also at the time the the science that was available to me was like uh, sensory deprivation, right? Um, and so that kind of, um, that was the environment, but the things, things that I was able to glean from the people that I talked to in the field was, um, so like uh, timeline to recovery, a great way that thing that like helped me was like, if you were to like have a bruise or like break a leg, like your recovery time is X, we're doing math here. Um, and then if you were to like, uh, um, like have a tendon issue or like a dislocation or a separation or whatever. That's like X times two, less blood flow takes a little bit longer. Um, and then with the brain, it's like X times five. Uh, you can't, you can't like put a cast on your brain, right? Like you can't, you can't just turn it off and, uh, or ride, like sit in a wheelchair or use crutches. Um, and, you know, if you were to like, let's say, do your tib fib, you're in a cast, you cannot use your leg and still exist in the world. Um, but with, and so like your, your, I guess the, 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 the input that would come into your leg, you can nullify. Um, but with the brain, it's like mental stress, doing math, thinking about like problem solving, just that stuff will affect it um, emotional things will affect it so like you know being sad that your brain's not working or being angry that your partner doesn't understand or that your kids are still being kids um so there's like the emotional side of things that also can affect your recovery timeline and then there's the physical stuff so just like um stimulation or uh exercise even um those types of things. So there's like, you got this triple whammy of things that you're trying to control and manage. Um, and you, yeah, you, you need your brain for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that was a timeline thing that kind of, uh, that I was able to hear and help. Um, and there was also um, like, if you were to look out, if you live in a place where there is snow or have seen movies with snow, ah, oh, snow. It all looks kind of the same, white, cold. Um, but then each snowflake is it's very individual. There's no two snowflakes alike. Um, and so it's it's similar in concussion. Like I speak to my experience and, and my symptoms, um, which there's there's a lot of Venn diagrams of people's overlapping symptoms. But, you know, some people like were blacked out for two minutes, but were able to like be um, to get rid of symptoms within two weeks and be back on the bike. You know, I didn't lose consciousness at all. And my recovery timeline was much longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, or yeah, like people really struggle with balance. Like I never really had that issue, like thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And I think, yeah, the the really hard thing about all of it is for the most part, unless you, you know, hit yourself in a way that your glasses gave you black eyes or something, it's invisible. Like 
Totally. No one is going to realize it. And I think that does actually make it harder. It's easy for the cycling community to understand that and rally around it because we, we understand that. But I think for like non-cycling or like non-athletic friends and definitely family, like I know my, my dad who does not listen to this podcast, so I can say it, it's like of the like hard ass, like just get back to it generation. And yeah, would not really like comprehend, I don't think like. Uh, yeah. prolonged and concussion recovery totally and, and you know i would i would have loved i would have loved to have like a like done my collarbone too right so that i had like yeah i i have a thing um but instead i had my like industrial uh like um construction style earphones and my sunglasses and that's how I had to like exist in the world. You must have put like a once... bandaid on your forehead or something. Just like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was a big, big part of it too. Because um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, you just didn't feel super validated in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like we talked about the concussion protocols uh, that used to be the thing of like, you stay in a dark room, you don't listen to anything. You don't go on screens. You don't talk to people. You basically are just like alone in like you're in solitary confinement, essentially. Yeah. Um, and just waiting for your symptoms to to go away. You don't. Yeah. If you feel symptoms, bad. Don't do it. Yeah. And I was actually talking to a, a woman for a different article for Youth Sport, and she was kind of updating me on the concussion protocols. And what we're learning now, like to my understanding, is that like we've realized that like even if those protocols were actually like the best way to deal with a concussion for some people, the mental health implications of that are so bad and so detrimental that for most people, especially if you have any kind of prolonged recovery, if we're talking like one or two days in like a quiet, dark room, not a big deal. But if you're talking about like, you know, especially when you're talking high school and college age kids, like you're taking them away from their screens, which is connecting them to their friends. You're taking away their friends. You're saying like, sorry, you can't go to your graduation ceremony. You got to stay in this dark room. Um, you're doing so, like so much more harm. And I think that same applies to adults. Like I, we always talk about this stuff for kids. And then I'm always like, wait a second, if I'm alone in a dark room by myself, like that seems really bad. Um, yeah. So I think we are learning that like, there's a balance between like the concussion protocols and preserving our mental health so I think like you said like having the friends stop by and maybe they weren't having the world's most stimulating conversations with you but that like friend giving you a hug and just even I'm sure sitting there with you for a few Mm -hmm. minutes Mm -hmm. probably made such a huge difference Mm -hmm. definitely yeah Um, so that's I you know I just wanted to kind of like touch on like the power of community and friends and kind of coping with Mm -hmm. long-term injury. I think we've kind of talked about that. I just think it's worth underscoring that like, for the most part, this stuff does not exist in a, like, you can't do this alone. Like it would be so hard. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you have to go to the bar to hang out with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. You can go, you can go to a park with one friend as opposed to like trying to manage multiple conversations, which can be harder for people um, or just have multiple like stimulating things. Um, but like, you know, a nice quiet dinner with a friend can do wonders. Yeah, absolutely. Now I do want to talk about like, as you're, you know, you're still kind of dealing with some of the symptoms, 
But then you are starting to deal with mental health stuff. And you did, in fact, like you've talked publicly about this, you dealt with an eating disorder and ended up hospitalized mm-hmm. because of it. Can you sort of give us sort of the, like, what was going on there? And I mean, really, like how you how you were able to to come out of it and sort of maybe what you've learned from it for someone who might be going through similar? Yeah, Um just like concussion, uh, mental health is a very complicated thing and nuanced. And um, and so I'm speaking to my experience without judgment, caveat, caveat, caveat. Um, and so because of the physical changes to my brain, plus the, the environment that all of a sudden I found myself in where I lost my career, uh, I lost the semblance of self, um, looking for control in a very uncontrolled environment. Uh, and also just with kind of like, you know, uh, in, in sports, you know, food is, is kind of a, it can, it can be a very weird topic. Some people are like super food positive and, uh, food is fuel. Um, it can also be like, you know, Oh, I don't want to have that cake cause it'll make me fat. And it's like, bro, you ride 25 hours a week. We are like in the top percentage of the top percentage of what we do. Eat the bleeping cake, right? So, um, and we will also point out while you were in a very supportive, loving community, you were also in a community of pro and amateur athletes who were trying to go pro. And like, while I loved my time in Massachusetts and the Valley and like would never trade it, there are some very like, wild ideas about food that happen when you have a couple hundred like semi-pro to professional cyclists living in a community yes and fortunately the the support structure that i found was separate from that that community but i existed in the i was that world yeah exactly um and you know like so (laughs) part of it was like i didn't know or have the the skills to, I guess, like, well, if I'm not riding, I'm not, if I'm literally laying in bed for 20 hours a day, you know, I didn't know how to, to fuel myself for that. And I didn't have the skills or the, the knowledge or like belief that like, I, you just need to eat to exist. And that's really important. Um, and uh so that was like that was part of it there's this this element of like you know like I had you know with the best of intentions so I was like well you know if 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 you're off the bike for a few weeks like you know don't don't like gain weight or anything and you'll just and and that'll just like a really passive comment was like oh yeah I guess I don't want to do that and so it was never about like being small it was like I don't want to gain weight um but also with also with this like search for control i can't control how fast i get better i can control how i feel um and so it was it was it was definitely kind of like the 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 sad analogy of like a lobster in boiling water or like or the whatever like the frog in boiling water that i didn't know it was getting hot until it was boiling it was it was it was not like a switch it was, mm-hmm. it was definitely kind of a, a flow into it. Um, but 
yeah, I just tried coping by essentially just eating less and that yeah. helped, helped me kind of numb out a little bit more. It helped me feel like I was in a really backwards way working towards something, you know, which um, is as, completely understandable. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and like when I had my accident, it's not like I was in a place where losing weight would have been a good idea anyway. Um, but uh, yeah. And so it, it kind of escalated over the, I guess, two years um, to the point where, you know, I had those same friends were now helping me like kind of face this, this other big monster. Uh, and it went from something that I thought I was controlling to something that was controlling me. Um, and even kind of, even despite, you know, I kind of dug my heels in and was like, I was aware of how naive I was being about it. Like I was, it was an awareness of like what was going on, but like, I was not looking at it cause it was my, it was my version of like drugs or alcohol. It was the thing yeah. that was helping me get through as messed up as it was. That's what yeah. was happening. Um, and now here's like kind of a, yeah. a strange, not strange, weird question though. Uh, you know, we, we also know now that nutrition can play at least a role in concussion recovery. So looking back, you know, are you saying like, are you seeing like, Oh, like this, you know, maybe this could have actually like potentially sped up recovery if you had been able, like 10, if you had percent. been able to get that help earlier. 10,000%. Um, and so again, this is, you know, back to what I said earlier, like my experience is very specific to myself and a small yeah. percentage and a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of things that kind of led to the length of my recovery, both from concussion and from, uh, from the mental health side of things. Um, and so kind of like, when it all did come to a head because I had, I had been able to like hold down like a job. I had an opportunity to also like move to Washington DC and help open the Rafa store, which was like, you know, I was an ex pro who had an injury. Rafa was like, Whoa. And uh, I did have a college degree and they needed help opening a store and like a two week, a two week like contract turned into like four months, but I was so not ready for that. Like moving, moving again to out of, out of comfort zone, uh, doing a job that I was like not capable of doing. Um, so it's just another like set of shit to have to control that I couldn't. Um, and so finally, when it kind of came to a head, it was just, a, a really hard reckoning of uh, like if if you don't do something about it, you probably won't continue to be existing as a human. Yeah, which was like heavy. It was heavy to one acknowledge that, and also to like part of me was like, okay, whatever then. And that was like, whoa, like that was my moment of like, okay, that's not that's not me. Like you right. caught that thought bubble and we're like, oh, hell no. Like that's right. not, yeah. Yeah, so I, so I ended up going to a, um, the, the Walden Behavioral Care Treatment Center in, in Massachusetts, back to Massachusetts again. Um, <laughs> and uh, ended up needing to spend, spend the night in a cardiac wing 
and then was in an inpatient care for a month where it was 24 hour medical monitoring. And that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Which Um, we might have to do by the way, because I think it's it's important to talk about. There's so many people in cycling who I would say are within, they're only like one or two steps from that point, right? Like there's such a fine line between like, I'm under control and I'm a cyclist and I'm like just exerting this level of control on my food because of my sport into like extremely dangerous behavior. Definitely. Um, and so, you know, blessings in disguise, I had to spend four, more or less four months in a hospital zone, like different levels of care stepping down. Um, but like, yeah, it got rid of my phone couldn't have phones, got rid of TV, didn't have TV. And so that was honestly like what both the nutrition and then also the, the mental health skills, like cognitive behavioral care coping. Um, and, and yeah, just getting the nutrition that I needed allowed my brain to also fully lean into it, like into its, all right. I was maybe I had reached a level of like stasis where I could kind of exist in the world and like lead bike rides and like work on the computer a little bit. But it wasn't until like that full step back where it was like, okay, I can come out of this um, being, you know, I went in very scary, very, very scary situation, came out much more healthy, much more able and uh, with the skills to enter the world so that like I came out and I was like I think I'm ready to try driving again which I wasn't able to but my brain was healed enough that I could do it and it wasn't this like super crazy stressful thing Mm -hmm. Um, and it just gave me this ability to like walk walk into the world and that's that's kind of like you know going into that um, the treatment world allowed me to like look at my monsters this is bringing a full circle. I had these big monsters, depression, anxiety that came out through this eating disorder. And those are the big monsters that I didn't want to address. Um, and fortunately and unfortunately, like I was like one step away from it, not being my choice, but it was still my choice to walk into that hospital. Um, so that I could like look at them in the face and they didn't go away. They haven't gone away. Uh, but I'm able to live with them now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's like the big the big takeaway from that really heavy experience um, that you know was related to my heavy experience with concussion, long recovery. Um, that was like the the birth of what became and is the Small Monsters Project. I love that. And I think it's it's so important to just emphasize that like living, like learning to live with the monsters versus this idea of vanquishing and overcoming them because kind of coming back to like, we're type A cyclists. We want to just like hit this stuff and get it done and just move on and like be done with that. Um, yep. but really, we're, we're never going to be, be done. Um, now, all of this like leads me to kind of ask the question of, do you think, or, and again, we're going to go with the, it depends caveats um as far as like seeking mental health help like in the form of a therapist or something like that early on in something like this not like the day after you get a concussion obviously um but if someone is dealing with like a concussion 
where it does seem like the symptoms are like fairly prolonged. Do you think mm-hmm. it is maybe a good line of defense to start talking to someone just so you're sort of 100%. already like getting those resources and getting those reference points and like kind of already like yeah. setting yourself up for that? Yeah, there's actually specialists in it. And I was able to see one, like a neuropsych, where they oh, amazing. are their psychologist. So general just mental well-being uh, combined with an experience with like concussion and TBI. And so mm-hmm. they're they're able to um, really relate to you where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was something that I ne- neglected by by accident to mention earlier, but um, that was a big big way to like validate my experience. I think yeah, that's to me just super important. And I like I always talk about almost preventative therapy. Like I'm always saying like yeah. everyone should really like have if 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 it is available to you because I'm aware that it's a very you know a very bougie thing to be able to say like anyone can you know see a therapist not everyone has that kind of access but if you do I think it is a really good idea no matter where you are concussion or not like to have that Mm -hmm. baseline of like having a therapist or you know having some kind of like mental health professional because it like eases it in where when you do have an actual issue you need to, to deal with they already know who you are they know who your parents are they've like figured out your issues with your mom like Definitely. Or at least they're they're aware of them, so you don't need to like start from you know zero. Um, so yeah, I think that's just kind of part of this this puzzle or puzzle piece in the whole healing journey is the the mental health side. Because I mean, you said it at the beginning, and I just want to like just reemphasize it over and over again. Concussion. We're talking about chemical changes. We're not just talking yes. about some brain jostling. We're talking about literal chemical hormonal changes that can have these long lasting downstream consequences that like you just, you can't control. There is nothing that you can do to control those. But, uh, it, and you can, you can have resources and people in your life that can help you manage the new, the new normal. Yes. Um, it's kind of like a, another um, analogy that I, that I use. It's like, if I were to like, you know, tweak my back or like maybe maybe I was in a car accident when I was a kid and there's this thing in my back and um, or like I crashed I crashed two years ago on my mountain bike and it's fine it's fine um, but if I don't like wake up do a couple sun salutations a couple down dogs if I don't do that it'll build up over the course of time and then all of a sudden two months three months go by and I'm like I need to see someone right now because I can't exist but if you were just to take five minutes, do your sensor, take your town dogs, all that, then you're fine. Mm-hmm. And and that's, and that's kind of what I, that's what I encourage people to do with their mental health stuff. Like for me, it's meditation. Um, and that can be both on the bike. That can be like, you know, the sitting down, being quiet, breathing for two or three minutes, like really checking in without judgment. And then I can, that can like, yeah, just kind of turn on, turn on the light. The monster's like, oh, and I'm like, I see you. I see you. <laughs> uh, as opposed to like, you know, not ever opening that door. Because mm-hmm. um, like, you know, they're just doing push-ups, waiting for you to not not be ready and they'll get you. Yep, they're just lurking. I'm just picturing like the like long fingers like coming around the door. like Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Very um, visual so, on the small monsters here. 
and and as we talk about these small monsters it was a very uh it was a very um purposeful choice to make them cute uh the small monsters that are in the kit or that you see on the website or uh or on the stickers like it's not it's it should be talked about because it's not this thing that's going to prevent you from existing if anything it opens up the possibility of having this like wonderful experience that you wouldn't be capable of otherwise mm -hmm. you know there's the world is, is rich uh rich in experience and um if you're shackled by something that that consumes you you're not able to to do that so i would much prefer you know getting a little uncomfortable for five minutes a day uh than this numbed out existence that i was living in mm -hmm. i love it i love it okay before we wrap up give us the current goal of the small monsters project how can people get involved how can people follow along with what you're doing all that stuff yeah we covered a lot so if you're still here wow thank you <laughs> um, uh so so starting from the top the small monsters project uh our whole mission is to provide education and resources about concussion and TBI, which we kind of talked about today. Um, and then also kind of reducing the stigma around mental health, addressing your small monsters. And so the ways that we're actioning that um, short term is uh, I'm going to be traveling the USCX calendar, working with teams, youth teams, coaches um, to provide those resources so that it's, it's a conversation that's happening and, you know, so that the kids or, or the adults don't have this innocuous crash and then don't know where to turn. Um, the more people we can arm with these skills or the knowledge, uh, the better chance that like, even if it's not you, but it's your friend or your, your friend's friend, you see someone on the internet, like you're able to point them towards any resources we have them if you need them. Um, and we're also providing uh, concussion baseline testing um, for as many people as we can. Again, not as a diagnostic, but an evaluative tool as part of your, your toolbox. Um, and just kind of an investment in you know, knowledge of, of your brain. Um, and so that's how we're kind of like actioning this first, first phase of Small Monsters Project. And so any, any fundraising dollars are going to go towards that. I'm um, looking 2024 and beyond. Um, I'm really hoping to get on like a speaking type circuit, uh, going to colleges, uh, high schools, a TEDx type tour. Again, just to, to tell my story um, to, to, yeah, just even had someone come to me in high school to my, like, and talked about concussion, like, who knows what that could have done? So again, it's like, how many people can we impact? Um, and then the the last way we're gonna try to have an impact in the world is is through visual media. So working to try to, you know, someone Google's concussion bikes. Here you go. Here's a here's a video that um, you could watch and and feel less alone in. Um, and so if you want to get involved, you can always donate. Um, we're also putting on the Small Monsters Project Sportive. Uh, so if you're in the Bay Area, you can come do, do a bike ride with us. There's gonna be a road option, a dirt option, um, uh, an awesome rest stop, and, and then an after, after party hang where um, 
you'll kind of get a version of what you listen to in this podcast. Uh, and then also we're, we're hoping to have someone from the local uh, UCSF um, concussion clinic come and give, give a little bit more of like the science of what actually happens inside the brain. Um, but just because you aren't going to be able to make it, we have raffle tickets. Um, also, we're not as helping produce the small monsters jersey for year three, and this one is the coolest one. And so, all proceeds of that will go to help. Uh, yeah, that's a lot. Um, but but all great we're, stuff. We're out here, yeah, we're all out here trying to trying to move the ball forward. I love it. I love it. And where can people follow you? Um, you can follow me at Benjam Fred for all of your cycling and cat uh cat cuteness um and then at the small monsters project for you know the more good works version of things love it oh ben thank you so much for doing this this was such a useful like just wonderful conversation so thank you thank you for having me and thank you everyone for listening and and hanging out with us this was great thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 